Hello and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Josh Chappell. Today we'll be talking about the vintage community, the vintage super league, and foods that we're picky about. We are here with Queen of the Golgari vintage sweetheart, Erin Campbell. I was really excited to get her on the show to talk about, uh, I know when we were setting up the, the show itself, she said that she was very excited to talk about the vintage community. And I think that pretty much encapsulates what our show is about. So weird. Yeah. I'm, I'm really happy to have her on. Welcome to the show, Erin. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Let's start with the whole vintage topic. I know you've been playing Magic for a long time. How did you first get into vintage? I think like a lot of people, I kind of bought into the dream that Wizard sells you of like, you must play on the Pro Tour, you have to enjoy Standard and all of those things. And I spent a lot of years playing decks that I didn't enjoy that weren't for me, playing <laughs> formats that I hated. And only in the last few years did I start really asking myself the hard questions of like, why am I playing Magic? Like, what do I get out of this? What do I love to do? Right. I had a couple friends who had played Vintage pretty frequently, and they were always like, you got to come play Vintage with us. And I was like, I don't even have a legacy scene where I live. I was like, not to mention I can't afford the cards. And they were like, you can play on Magic Online. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I started playing on Magic Online a little bit. I had some girlfriends with me that we would stream vintage together and we learned the format. And I really loved vintage. I started to really enjoy vintage. I really enjoyed legacy. And I just stopped doing things I didn't love to do. Um, and when I realized that dredge was something I loved to do, I just realized I wanted to do that thing all the time. And um, <laughs> and here I am. Now I'm, now I'm on the Vintage Super League. I'm going to Eternal Weekend you know, two years running and, and I'm definitely planning on going to the one in 2019. And, and now I guess I'm a member of the vintage community. So it's been a pretty, pretty wild ride. Did you start with dredge or did you start with vintage? Because I remember you posting some number of years ago, shots of you winning with dredge in modern or legacy. And I remember thinking like, oh, Aaron, you know, you really need to get on this bizarre Baghdad thing because <laughs> you are missing out. I did start with Dredge, yeah, because I've always had a great appreciation for broken strategies and specifically strategies involving graveyards. So that was one of the first things my friends suggested is they were like, if you've played modern Dredge and you played legacy Dredge, using Bazaar of Baghdad is like nitrous. You know, when you're watching Fast <laughs> and the Furious and like the car is already going pretty fast, but then you flip the nitrous switch and it's just over. And so I actually have it clipped. I'll never forget it. The first time I ever like activated a Bazaar and I was just like, oh my God. And like, it just felt amazing. <laughs> and it was really hard to go back after that. But yeah, I did start with Dredge. Um, and then since then, I've kind of poked my little meerkat head out a little bit and tried different strategies. And um, it's been pretty fun. There really hasn't been a strategy I've disliked. Um, there are strategies that I'm not really eager to play again, but I've never like thoroughly, you know, hated the experience. Mm, sure. Did you start playing Dredge because that's what you played in other formats and then you, it kind of led to Vintage Dredge? Or like, did you start because of the economic aspect? Because I know that's like a big thing. People getting into Vintage, like what is the... Cheaper deck I can build, and Dredge is usually that deck. No, I had always had a great appreciation for graveyard decks. My first modern deck was Living End, um, and so I've always gravitated towards that style of deck. I've played Living End, I've played Reanimator and Legacy. I just really like graveyard strategies, and so for me, it was kind of a no-brainer of, you know, this is what I love to do. 
oh, I can do an even more overpowered version of it. Let's let's do that. Let's start there. The budget concerns it just happened to be a coincidence, but that was never mm. that was never the the thrust of it. What is it about graveyard decks that attracts you? I mean, it was is it just the alternate angle of getting cards into play? Or I think for me, I like to describe broken decks like a high. You know, and so it's mm. like, you know, when you, so I started off with Living End and I had never played any sort of combo deck before. You know, I had always been a black green player. I used to play those mid range, grindy, jund, you know, kind of decks, the decks that wanted to take you to time every single time and just kind of grind you down until you're one of those little pencils that you get at the library. <laughs> and I just got kind of bored with that. And then I just started experimenting with other play styles. And then once I had a taste of doing broken things, it was like, I was very, I couldn't go back at that point. I, I was kind of chasing the dragon, as they say. And so, I started off with Living End, and then that was fine. And then I started to lose the high, and then I discovered Modern Ad Nauseam. And it was like, <laughs> wait a minute, I can go to negative 50 and throw all my lands at people? Sign me up. And so that made me feel good. That brought the high back again. And then I just started chasing higher highs, where I had a friend of mine who was like, have you ever played Belcher? And I was like, no, what's that? And then played Belcher, discovered how incredible that feels. And so um, at that point, I just couldn't really go back. You know, it's very hard to go back to casting Delver of Secrets when you've gone off on turn one with ad nauseum, you know, it's just very hard to do that. And so, you know, once I started playing with broken decks, it was very hard. And, and dredge really does kind of break the rules, you know, in a lot of fundamental ways, you know, when you're first taught how to play magic, you're taught that, well, you're only supposed to draw one card per turn. Well, dredge effectively draws more than that, depending on what you have in the graveyard. You know, you're taught that things in the graveyard have to stay there. Well, dredge flies in the face of that too. You're taught that you have to pay for your spells. So much of what dredge does is triggers, you know, very rarely are you paying for anything. And so, when you're able to break the rules in so many ways, it's really hard to go back to playing fair decks. And so when I do play other decks that aren't dredge, I still need to get that high. I still need to get that fix. Have you considered seeing an addiction counselor? About this <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, it's funny. I don't think of it and I, I hope I'm not trivializing, you know, addiction or anything like that. You know, it, it's purely in jest, you know, but you know, the way I like to rationalize it is like I said, you know, I spent a really long time playing decks that I hated and formats that I hated. And, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I just want to do what I love. And people sometimes say, you know, you talk about dredge a lot, you talk about graveyard decks a lot, you know, it's really all that you do, but I love what I'm doing. You know, I would rather I play decks that I love than, than play decks that I hated. And, you know, when I played decks that I hated and formats that I hated, I just wasn't happy. Like I wasn't a good friend. I wasn't a good person. <laughs> I certainly wasn't a good opponent. Let's get that out there. And honestly, just things turned around once I started doing what I love to do. And now I, I love the decks that I play. When, I, when I'm playing in an event, it's because I want to play in it. And it's just something I'm not, you know, really going to apologize for where it's like, I'm doing what I love. And I think that's great. This is honestly the best advertisement for vintage that I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even talked about how awesome you guys are yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see if we get to that point. <laughs> Have you ever chased the literal dragon and everyone's favorite judgment rare world gorger dragon? I have a little bit of PTSD when it comes to World Gorgeous Dragon. Uh, so some girlfriends and I, we were on the Community Super League a couple of years ago, and one of the themes had um, had to do with Shadows of Her Innistrad block because that set had just come out, and we had to do a tribal week. And I remember Wedge from the Manasaurus, his tribe was Nightmares. 
And ours, I think, was oh god, I remember ours was really hokey. I think it was like horrors or something. It was pretty tame. Like we had a really fair deck, and that was the <laughs> first time I'd ever really ever experienced the World Gorgeous Dragon combo. So we're live on camera. We don't know what's happening. You've got Athena in your ear saying, "You guys have to play it out." Chat needs to see the combo. We're all like on a roller coaster. Like we want to get off the ride, and so um, just getting humiliated by that card on camera has traumatized me to where I can't. I can't do it for a while. <laughs> they did World Gorger Dragon combo on Magic Online? Uh, yeah. I thought that it was almost impossible. No, I mean, you definitely It's a lot saw, of like, clicks. It's not yeah, impossible. Yeah, I mean, you definitely <laughs> saw the stack. I mean, chat wasn't happy about it. Like, Wedge definitely didn't get the popular <laughs> vote that night. But, um, you know, we, we got to see the stack. We got to see the triggers. It, we eventually put two and two together. And so because of that, I'm just like, no, I, I can't do it. But Yeah. Yeah, because I, I I've realized that all of my favorite decks involve infinite combos. So Bomberman, World Wonder Dragon, Tide Spout Tyrant, and it's like none of them are playable online. It's, yeah. it's really depressing to me. But um, yeah, so I'm I'm really glad that you're talking about how like the actual emotional response of playing vintage, where it's like this is directly what I want to be doing. This is how I want to play the game, and I think that's such an important piece of magic that a lot of people seem to forget like it's mm -hmm. it's, it's come up recently with the band and restricted list which i said we weren't going to talk about but here we are not your band i know i'm only restricted um <laughs> i see what you did there but everyone wants something different out of the format like there's mm -hmm. not everyone wants to do the same thing some people want a bigger list that will sort of restrict things and make quote unquote fairer games and other people want as small a list as possible because it showcases the power of the format, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, there's a whole bunch of different angles that you can look at this. And, you know, I think it's just, if you're not enjoying the format, you need to figure out a way to make it better for yourself because otherwise, yeah. What, what else are you going to do? Even magic in general, you know, there's yeah. so much white noise out there. You know, one of the things I used to get tripped on was there's just so much information out there. You know, you right. log on this website and this pro is telling you that this deck can't lose. You know, you go on this website and this pro has a video saying why you should play this format. And we just don't really listen to ourselves very much. And so, you know, it was a really hard thing to do to just sort of tune all of that out and just say, okay, what do I want? Like, what do I want to do? And even though it may not be what all of these other successful people are telling me I want, I know it's what I want. <laughs> and I think it's a conversation a lot of people just haven't had with themselves. And sometimes I can see it coming a mile away. Like, I'll see somebody on Twitter who's really just feeling some feelings. And I'm like, girl, like, <laughs> what you doing? And, you know, a lot of people just really need to have that conversation with themselves. And I think once they do, they're a lot happier. But I see people all the time who are, I remember, I'll never forget, I'll never forget, I went to Grand Prix Detroit a few years ago. This was back during Eldrazi winter. And it was the first time I ever day two to GP. I was on Modern Ad Nauseam. And I'll never forget, I played Eldrazi five times in one day. <laughs> I sent three of those bums home. But I had an Eldrazi pilot who beat me. And as we were cleaning up and as we were everything, he goes, I hate my deck. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. And he goes, I don't want to be doing this. He's like, I just, I, I need to get on the pro tour and I know this deck wins and you're, you're having so much fun and I wish I could be having fun. And I was like, I don't want to be that poor bastard. You know, I want to be able to, you yeah. know, I want to be able to wake up every morning and say, I am so happy to play this deck and I cannot wait to play this. And, you know, I just never wanted that to be me. And, you know, if there's an event that I'm not feeling, I just don't go. And I go to GPs now and I don't even play in the main event. I, I'll play commander all weekend if I have to, but you know, I will never be that guy that is playing decks because I have to. And if I ever feel like I'm getting towards that, I move the hell away. And it's like, 
like, we're just not going to do that. And I, yeah. I see a lot of people doing that and it breaks my heart. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it comes back to like what Ben Perry espouses with the uh, MTG underground and like, mm-hmm. you know, just find what you like and do that. Like if, if it's going to be yeah. all rainbow veils and fallen empires cards, like that's your deal. Go for it. Like that's, yeah. Don't let people. But you should probably be kept away from anyone else. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's not, you know, that sounds fun. As like, long as they're black bordered. Like I built an Ixalan cube because I like dinosaurs. Like that's there totally my reason to do it. Like, there you go. Yeah, more people need to remember the fun they had of playing Magic when it was not for competitive reasons. That was actually the moment that made me want to start exploring vintage. I'll never forget, I was at an event called Eternal Extravaganza in Pennsylvania one year, and they had the vintage event at the same time they had their modern event. And I, of course, was playing in the modern event at the time. Mm. And I remember my round had ended. And I had walked between the doorway between the two events and the modern side was so quiet. It was so tense. And I remember going on the other side and the vintage people were having so much fun. And I assumed it was because the matches were over. I just assumed this was all post-match banter. (laughs) Oh no, girl, they were still playing. And I remember just looking at them in awe and I was like, they are having so much fun. And meanwhile, I'm over here. It's tense. It's tight. It's, you know, stressful. Everybody's got to get their buys, got to get their points, got to get their raw. And I was like, I want to go. I want to go in that room. Like, how do I, how do I get in that room? Yeah. And they were like, you got $10,000. And I was like, no. And they were like, then you got to stay in this room. And I was like, okay. Um, but that was honestly the first moment that I ever had the inkling that I wanted to try vintage was just seeing how much fun everybody was having. Because even though we were at this technically competitive event, everyone was having a blast. And yet in the, in the other room, it was just so nerve wracking. And I was like, what do I got to do to get in there? Because that looks like the fun place to be. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we've been playing local vintage in Ohio for a long time and that's, I think where the three of us got our starts pretty much and um, our tournaments are 16 people and we don't really have a judge because we just figure everything out on our own. Like we'll just come to an agreement on how this rule's going to work and that'll be fine. Yeah. You so. really do feel like you're playing with grownups. Like it's kind yeah. of interesting to see how, you know, so many things that are controversies in the larger community just aren't like, I remember <laughs> when the good game debate came up again uh, oh, very yeah. recently and people were like, you know, should you shake your opponents? Should you say good game? And I remember it was everywhere. It was on Reddit. It was on YouTube. It was on Twitter. And the managerine thread, I think had like three replies <laughs> where people were like, right. I'm 40. If I don't want to shake your hand, it's fine. Like it just wasn't a thing. Like when you're playing, you really do get the feeling. I think the older the format, you really do feel like you're playing with adults. And that's another reason why I love the format so much is that so many things that would be controversial in the larger community, you just don't worry about where it's like, I don't, I don't do that. I don't know what that's like. And, and I like that a lot because I, I, that was something I really struggled with playing a lot of the newer formats is you're having to deal with kind of those uppity grinders. And I just can't, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, I honestly don't know, but I've never heard of the good game thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah like it it would it would blow my mind if i was at a vintage tournament and my opponent did not like shake my hand or like just got up and left what (laughs) it would it would blow your mind if it was for some reason like a deal like i mean if it was i mean the, the controversy was basically like if it wasn't actually a good game like one of the players got you know mana screwed or mana flooded and did not participate in the game like do you say good game because it from my perspective has always been it should always be the loser that says good game because if you've won obviously it's been a good game but especially as somebody who plays broken decks like i know if i get two bazaars out you're just not playing this game and it wasn't a good game for you and so i'm not going to patronize you by acting like
like you had a chance because you didn't, you know? Um, and so as somebody who plays broken decks, I know what that's like. And so usually I will say, you know, thank you for the games. Thank you for coming. Um, yeah. and there have been times where I have politely refused a handshake where sometimes you get people where before you've even cleaned up, it's like, good day. And it's yeah. like, I, I haven't, I need a minute. Okay. Like I yeah. just, just 30 seconds. Like, let me just put my stuff away. Okay. Thank you. But the people who are very quick on the draw, I have politely been like, no, thanks. <laughs> I don't even know how I feel about this. Subject. <laughs> I'm glad I missed this entire controversy. Yeah, it was a thing for a while. And it's just one of those topics that comes up again. You know, there's just certain hot topics like women in magic where every six months it loops back around. And uh, yeah, the good game thing comes up every so often. Yeah. Let's talk more about the best parts of vintage rather than the, um, is it, so what's, um, what is your favorite vintage story? Do you have a good one? That's, oh my God. I mean, it has to be the team serious invitational. I mean, that was just to me, that was such a level up moment of like, am I, I'm a real vintage player now, you know? <laughs> um, and, and that's just something I'm I, not sure if really I'm responsible for being <laughs> the, the real vintage player because I'm pretty sure that half of the people who come to the team serious I'm not sure I'd call them real players, myself included. Yeah, I, I, me too. I think just being welcomed into the community the way that I have been has just been such a thrill because, you know, I think people see the financial barrier that exists with vintage. And let's be clear, there is a financial barrier there. Yeah. But people assume that that automatically translates to elitism. And I found the opposite to be true. And maybe it's because, you know, I'm visible. I, I, I don't know. But all I can say is that when I first started publicly expressing that I wanted to play vintage, I was literally getting people that were like, deckless primers, what do you need? We got you. You need cards? We got those too. Like, please just play our format. And yeah. I had people literally sitting in my Twitch chat telling me how to play my deck because they just wanted me to play their format. And, you know, I just, I was welcomed so wholeheartedly and people were just so down. There was no judgment. There was no, any of that. You know, I would go into spaces where I would feel like my own insecurities were like, oh God, that's, that's Rich Shea over there. And that's Brian Kelly. And here's my, you know, dog and pony show self who's never done anything with my life. You know, I don't deserve to be here. And the opposite was true. It was like, you absolutely deserve to be here. Like, what do you need? Like, we got you. Just play, just have fun. And um, as opposed to other formats, that's like popper go in there. <laughs> Popper is surprisingly elitist, which you wouldn't think considering that your clothes cost more than your deck. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've experienced elitism in other formats that I've never experienced in vintage. The opposite has been true where everybody's just been so cool. And even when I've felt like I might not be good enough to participate, I've received, you know, a lot of outpouring of no, you absolutely deserve to come to this event. It doesn't matter. Just come play vintage with us. And that's so cool. I think there's a lot of desperation for vintage players to just like, please play our format. <laughs> There's like six of us. We really need to get like an eight person tournament going. Yeah. It was very refreshing because I was so convinced that like, I just, it was, you know, for an outsider, we look at everything. We see yeah. the moxin, we see the titles, we see the winning and, you know, it is a little intimidating. You feel like, Oh God, you know, I'm, I'm a dirty old standard player. I don't, I don't deserve to be here. And the opposite was true. Everybody was just so freaking cool. Yeah. I mean, it's very much like why areas use playtest mm -hmm. cards just to lower that barrier and try and make it accessible. Like, please, please come play. Like you will yeah. have fun. I promise you'll find something that you like, like, it's going to be skill testing in a completely different way than your normal format and you'll enjoy yeah. it like there are exciting things that happen yeah i think i think the financial barrier is a big bummer right because i'm sure there are people out there that were like oh i would love to play but i can't because i don't have money and i think that that's 
super lame. Yeah, even on a smaller scale, I remember I was at FNM one night and it was the night that somebody was doing some buyouts on Lion's Eye Diamond. <laughs> and I remember I had a couple of people who had been interested in Legacy Drudge because of me. And they were like, I, I was just kind of going through my social media and somebody, I remember there was a there was a time there where buyouts were happening pretty regularly where like somebody would be like, oh, Sarah Sanctum's up next. You better get it, better get it. And Twitter would freak out. And I remember just the faces that people made where it's like, oh, it was really... I don't have the LEDs. And even now people sometimes come up to me at events and are like, oh God, I love the show, but I can't afford LEDs. And it's like, oh, like you just, you want people, you know, right. going back to what I said, you want people to love what you love, you know, yeah. and that, that fosters a community in itself. And it's really, it's a bit of a bummer when people watch me stream or people watch me talk about it. And then they're like, oh, Aaron talked about this thing. I'm going to go Google it. Ooh, you know, I can't afford it. That, that really sucks. Yeah. I think a lot of it is that shared experience of what cool thing can you do that everyone else wants to do too. It's, it's discouraging when you can't do it. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the neat things about the community. And, and we kind of see that with the Ravnica sets, you know, there's so much identity tied into being Gruul, being Demir, being Golari. Right. And then another section of that is the deck identity. You know, you have your Jun folks, you got your burn folks. And, you know, now that everybody has a discord channel, there's a dredge discord, there's a storm discord. And so I love seeing all of the neat little communities, you know, kind of hiding under the big rock of magic. I guess the transition is, you know, like starting playing vintage and then, you know, that path to like getting on the VSL, being on the VSL. Like, I mean, I guess talk about how that came to fruition and your experience there. And I think that's interesting stuff, right? Yeah. So I... I think I don't, I'm just trying to remember how exactly it happened. I remember I was, I was dating somebody at the time and we were about to go to a vintage event. And I, like I said, I had been kind of streaming vintage a little bit. I'd been talking about it a lot. And Randy sent me an IM just really randomly one day. And he's like, would you want to be in the Vendor Silver Lane? And I was like, yeah. I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> I was like, but again, I was just worried that I hadn't really done anything. And so um, I remember just like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, we'd love to have you. You have to promise to behave around Reed. I was like, I promise. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> he's dreamy. You know this. And I was like, I can behave. It's fine. And so Randy did it. And then I remember right before I was supposed to go live, I ended up winning a vintage challenge. Oh, nice. Um, I crushed it. I went like eight no and I went, came in first place. Yeah, and so any sort of doubt I had about it really kind of went out the window where it was like, oh no, I deserve to be here. And I cleaned up my first night. Um, I, so the first week I didn't do so hot. Right. So the first week I didn't do so hot. And then the second week I played Dredge, I won the Vintage Challenge before that day. So I literally came into it having just crushed with it. And then I remember sweeping with Dredge 3 and L and people were like, oh. So this was uh, Vintage Super League uh, season seven, right? Like you've, you've been on I for three years now? Yeah, I've been okay. for three. This is season nine. Yeah, yeah so seven, so eight, nine. Yeah. Seven. yeah. So the first week I brought Mono Red Stompy because I was so convinced. I was like, you know, I want to be different. You know, I was like <laughs> one of those actors who like is on a long running TV show and then quits for like, I want to pursue other opportunities. Like, what are you doing? Stay on the show, stupid. And yeah. so I was kind of that girl where I was like, I want to make him I keep him guessing. And so I played Mono Red Stompy and it was fine. Um, And then week two, I was like, all right, we're going to play Dredge. And then Coincidentally, I won the Vintage Challenge the weekend before. Um, so it made for a really great story going into it. And yeah. then I swept that week with Dredge. And so that was a really great moment. And then the second season was the team season where it was me, Athena, and Rachel. And we had so much fun. And then now we're just back to being individuals again. But yeah, Randy just kind of saw that I was somebody who, you know, really liked the format. I kind of had that kind of new player perspective. And I guess he just felt that I was somebody that people would want to watch. And let's be honest, none of you love Dredge as much as I do. So <laughs> so somebody had to be the Dredge person, you I'm, know. I'm intimidated um, by Dredge. So I guess that helps. <laughs> I want to back up real quick on a tangent. 
of Reed Duke because you kind of mentioned the <laughs> mid-range deck earlier. And man, every time I think of a mid-range deck, I think of Reed Duke. That dude can seriously play some magic. It is phenomenal to watch him. And if Magic had a president, I would elect Reed Duke. He's so great. We we just don't <laughs> deserve him. Um, I've met him on several occasions. And every time I do, I immediately revert to like a 14-year-old girl where <laughs> I'm normally a pretty confident person. But whenever I see him, I'm just like, oh, that's weird. And he's like, you've met me before. I'm like, oh, I can't even look at him. I can't look at him. I freak out. It's really bad. But yeah, Reed is amazing. Um, and you, you forget that he's also pretty big fan of Storm, too. Oh, yeah. I think he was oh, one of yeah. the first people to really play with Paradoxical Outcome. And really kind of show how banned that card was. And yeah, Reed's great. We, we truly don't deserve him. So you're in season nine of the Vintage Super League now. Uh, mm-hmm. You have plans. You've, uh, you mentioned, obviously, <laughs> I assume you're going to play Dredge at least once. I, yeah, at least then once, yeah. You you mentioned playing two card Monty in the when we were talking to Oh, you, oh, you saw that? You heard that? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, this episode might come out before your week on the show. So Oh yeah, it's fine. It's okay, nobody listens to us. We don't want to spoil <laughs> anything, but you know No, I'd love watch to talk about the two card Monty thing because it's so like the antithesis of me where people are like Aaron. I'm like, I know I'm not gonna be invited to the Dredge Family Barbecue, it's fine. But yeah, I don't know. I definitely want to try something different. You know, I never wanna feel like I'm in a box or like I'm kind of doing the same thing twice. So I'm trying out all sorts of decks. I played stacks for the first time the other day. I had never played smokestack before. Actual smokestack? Actual smokestack. Yeah. Oh Um, man. There is a subset of players who will be very excited to hear that smokestacks are back. (laughs) Um, I actually didn't do too hot with it. um, I can't imagine that you would because like smokestacks (laughs) were probably not great. Yeah. So, I mean, it was fun though. Like once I figured out the triggers and everything like that, it was like, okay, I could, I could see myself doing this. So I'm not opposed to the stacks. So stacks is definitely on the table. I've been enjoying two card Monty quite a bit. There's a couple of things I want to try. The thing about VSL that makes it difficult to choose your decks is number one, you don't really get a lot of time to practice, especially if you have other obligations. Sure. You know, you really don't get too much time to practice and the metagame is kind of inbred, you know, where like you, <laughs> yeah. the decks that you see there and the cards that you see there, you may not necessarily see in, in the larger world. So that makes it difficult. And then you also kind of have to decide what you're going to do. Like you want to be entertaining, but at the same time, you also want to do well. And a lot of times I feel like you often have to sacrifice one. Like I feel like the people who are mm. really bringing the spice, don't do well. Like Paul Rietzel was giving you spice the last couple of seasons and he unfortunately didn't do very well, but people loved his decks. And then likewise, the people who were doing quite well really weren't reinventing the wheel. Um, And so it's really difficult trying to figure out, do I want to be spicy or do I want to, do I want to win? And I think for me personally, you know, I'm not a good player per se. Like if you want like finishes, go follow Menendi and go follow (laughs) Kevin. Like that's what they're there for. You know, I'm here to entertain your and so I'm not going to try to do poorly, but I also know what I'm there for. And, you know, you're not following me for the 5-0 and o finishes. You're following me for the nonsense. And so, you know, I'm just trying to bring the most colorful, fun decks that I can. And if I happen to win, that's great. Yeah, I think my favorite part is where somebody plays something sort of out of their wheelhouse. So, mm-hmm. like, for example, Rich Shea played Dredge <laughs> this week, which I thought was great. <laughs> Because that, I mean, Rich can obviously play anything and yeah. do well with it. But um, have I ever done my Rich Shea impression for you? Oh no, no, I, I do a Rich Shea impression. Is it good? 
I, it's okay. Would you, you like did to you want to put it on the show? Because that, that's <laughs> that what we're heading he's for. A good sport. Yeah, it's, he's a good sport. So I'll never forget, I was traveling for, I used to work for Card Hoarder, and I remember I would travel quite a bit for work, and I would get very homesick. And I remember I was in Phoenix, Arizona for a GP, and it was Halloween weekend, and Rich was doing a Halloween stream. And he had on his lab coat, and I'll, I'll never forget, I tuned in, and he was like, <laughs> you know, I'm Rich Shea. We have a night full of ghouls and goblins and zombies, and ghosting is encouraged. And I was was like, oh, and it was just, it was the greatest thing ever because I was so homesick and so sad. But to see Rich in his lab coat, it was like, I encourage the thrills and the spooks. And I was like, that is the greatest thing ever. Oh man, that's a really good Rich Shea impression too. <laughs> I want to compare this to the actual footage of that. It's, Rich is great. It's got to be spot on. Anyway, <laughs> but, I, but I really like when somebody plays something that you know, you mentioned that the VSL metagame is sort of inbred. And I, I feel like part of that is just because, you know, you can recognize the players and what their preferred deck type is going to be. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Menendian is either going to be on Xerox or some combo deck, probably paradoxical, whatever the best one is. And, you know, yeah. if he were to do something very daring outside of those lines, like you'd be surprised and excited to watch him do something different, even, you know, whether he succeeds or fails. It's just, it's yeah. fun to watch. So, mm-hmm. so I'm excited to see what you come up with um, if it's outside of Dredge and potentially two card Monty, which, you know, that sounds great, but yeah, there's a lot of, it's, it's a little hard to, and I think it also makes it difficult to innovate because the power level of vintage is so high. Mm-hmm. I know last season I was trying all sorts of things where I was like, let's do vintage enchantress. And it's like, you know, it's really hard to, you know, cast abundant growth when your opponent is playing a turn one Jace, you know, right. you can't play a Vendillion click, you know, or, or a spell stutter sprite when somebody's powering out a lodestone golem you know it makes it very difficult to really do you know anything over the top i i think for me what i found is that the the best kind of spice is like subtle innovations where it's like you know play a stock quantity but put in like a spicy card oh, maybe sure. two spicy cards but you know don't bring anything like terribly like you know i'm gonna do four color merfolk it's like that's not gonna end well for you but yeah. i think more subtle spice is kind of the way to go when it comes to vsl yeah it's one of the one of my favorite Spice Girls, Subtle Spice. <laughs> Subtle you Spice. You beat me to it. <laughs> oh, man. I was always a scary girl with, like, ginger tendencies. Ah, of course. Yeah. I don't have a Spice Girl story to share here. <laughs> Monster. So what's the format of VSL? How does it work? Like, I don't even understand it. How do they, like, choose who plays when or, like, how do people advance? So it's my understanding that typically Randy will start off by kind of asking people's availability. So, for example, before it was announced, he was like, okay, we're going to be going on Tuesdays for the next couple of weeks or the next couple of months. What are the Tuesdays you all can't do? And so for me, it was like, okay, well, I can't do this particular Tuesday. And then he tries to work around people's schedules. And so he chooses four people each week. And then you bring one deck and then you play everybody throughout the night, ideally. And then the people with a certain record move on to sort of the the finals, if you will. And then it goes on to the quarterfinals and so on and so forth. And so usually it's based on people's attendance, like who can make what day, what time, you know, and then it kind of goes from there. Does your record then go on to like who drops off and who stays and who? Yeah. So for example, when we were doing the team event, you had to get a certain record to keep going. And so we were the first, if, once you got two losses, you were out. So I believe once the girls and I had lost, we were, we were no longer playing anymore. And you can kind of track it. Usually there's a graphic that'll have like the names crossed out in the bracket, you know, kind of thing there. And you can usually follow along that way. 
And in previous years, there have been deck list restrictions, right? Like you you couldn't play the same list more than once or in the team team event. You still you... can, but it's very right. loosely defined. Like okay. it's more like it's more like don't make me get off this couch. You know, yes. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> try to you do know, something like, different. Okay, <laughs> right? You know, you're encouraged to not play the same deck twice, but okay. the definition of that is very loose. Okay, and that that's just I assume to get some more interesting looks at the format. Yeah, than, definitely. You know, yeah. they want to make it entertaining. You know, they want to keep the again trying to walk that line of like you want to entertain the seasoned folks, but you also want new players to be like you know you don't want them to be like oh another shop smear look at that you know you want right. to keep people interested and and yeah there's definitely a reason for that. Right. Are there any newer cards from uh, Guild of Ravnica or Ravnica Allegiance that you're looking to bring into the format now, or anything super old you're looking at? So I know all eyes are on Lavinia right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are really waiting to see if that's going to be a thing because it's mildly terrifying. <laughs> um, so I know that's something people are really excited about. Um, nothing really from guilds. I know for me personally, Dredge is in a really interesting spot right now where I feel like Dredge is best when it catches people off guard. And we haven't really been able to find that new something. Mm-hmm. You know, like we had the Dark Depths era you know, where we were surprising people with a merit lage and then people started to get really hip to that. And then we moved on to the hollow one Gurmog angler plan and people kind of got hip to that. And now we're main decking hollow ones and people have made it to where you're not ever going to get a Gurmog angler off. And then there was the life from the loam thing where like LSV had that really hot streak on the VSL and people were like, is this a thing? It ended up not being a thing. And so I feel like dredge players have been trying to find that next something. Um, and because they haven't really been able to find it, they're starting to go backwards where it's like, mm. remember when chain of vapor was a thing? Remember Petrified Field? And oh, so yeah. I think people are still looking for that something. Um, and no one's really been able to figure out what it is yet. So we got to get Jerry Yang on to talk about Dredge transforming into Oath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a really big fan of the Fate Stitcher Dredge. Um, that's a, that's a oh, version yeah. of Dredge I like to keep in my back pocket. And I'd like to bring it out every once in a while. I went four and one the other day with it. And I really, really like that version. I think there's a lot of room to innovate there. It's just super fast. It's super fun. And so that's that's kind of what I've been working on lately. But people have been trying different things. You know, Mulder Hulk was talked about for a while, Creeping Chill. Oh, um, but yeah. nothing's really taken off. And so I think until we find that something, I think we're kind of in a kind of in a weird place. Yeah, it, it always seems like there's that sort of arms war in Dredge where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. am I hating the graveyard? Am I hating creatures? Am I hating... What what am I going to try and do to beat this dredge player? Because what are they going to try and do to beat me? So, I think that's one of the most fascinating sure. things about playing dredge, and I don't think enough people really talk about it. Is sort of the fear and the fear going both ways. The fear that people feel when they face dredge, like you will see people make the most suboptimal deck building <laughs> choices because they don't want to lose to dredge. That fear is so powerful. Yeah. Um, and likewise, I feel like good dredge pilots often get hindered by the fear. And so when you learn to let go as a dredge pilot, you know when you see a graphic cage your inner monologue is usually screaming but if you're just like it's cage all right you know you play better but when you let the fear get to you when you're sideboarding and you you when you get inside your head and you're like oh my god they might have leyline and they might have priest and what am i gonna no you, you gotta play like i remember one of the best pieces of advice i ever got was from i think it was ben perry where he was like stay scary <laughs> it was stay scary and make them show you the hate and when you free yourself from the fear you play so much better and likewise when you can make the opponent scared just because you're dredge you can win a lot of games that way and yeah. it's something i definitely wish i had the chops to really write about a lot more because I think there's so much to be said about that fear that opponents of Dredge have and that pilots have and what can happen when you really free yourself of that. 
I'm not surprised that that advice came from Ben Perry and all of his years. <laughs> Patrick on... Feldman was another one too. Um, he wrote an article up uh, ten plus yeah. years ago called the, "The Dark Art of Dredge Foo," which is basically required reading for like any dredge player. Yeah. It's like the Bible on our nightstand, you know. And that was even something he talked about. Where for a while there, he was playing what was called fearless dredge, where he was like, "I can bring in nature's claims and chain of vapors, and yeah, that's fine. Or I can just have it, and if you have it, it's fine. Otherwise, I'm just coming for you." And so he even kind of talked about it a little bit in in terms of how he advocated building dredge. And it's just a really fascinating subtopic when it comes to the deck. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of decks like Belter and Dredge where it's just like, they have to have the answer mm-hmm. or you just win. Yep. Like, make them find it. I think that's why a lot of the transformational sideboard versions have done so well is because it allows you to free yourself of the fear. You know, when somebody drops two Grafdigger's Cage, fine, I'll drop two Hollow Ones and laugh at you. You know, you're able to free yourself of the fear right. because what you're doing does not even come close to what they're doing. And yeah. so I think that when people don't have those plans to sideboard into, it brings the fear back. And so people are trying to find a way to free themselves of the fear. And until they find that thing, you know, anything can happen. Yeah. Nice mulligan to five. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Even as someone that doesn't play dredge, because I mean, there's way too many triggers. I can't pay attention that much, but (laughs) I think like dredge games two and three, those are like some of the best games of magic I've ever played. They're always like interesting interactive, close, tight. Like it's, it's just, I think it's great magic. It's like a pillar of the format and I think it's a good time. Yeah. I particularly like the dredge mirror. I think the dredge mirror is awesome. I love when you can both sort of kind of go balls to the wall and, you know, race to Elishnorn or whatever it might be. I know the, at at eternal weekend, I had a really great mirror where we both had turn one ley lines or turn zero ley lines. (laughs) And it was like, all right, game on. And then we started casting our thugs, casting our stink weeds. And um, it was a really, really good time. And so I really enjoy the dredge mirror quite a bit. Yeah. Things get real weird real fast, and like that's the best part of magic. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, anytime you experience something new like that, where it's like, I haven't been in this situation before, and I don't know what to do. That's where it gets exciting. Yeah, even just trying to find, I'll never forget there was a young man, I was playing at, um, I think there was a GP Milwaukee, or it was a GP Minneapolis, there was a vintage side event, and he had slammed a late turn containment priest, so I managed to get like a couple blood gas out, you know, whatever, I think I had, I remember I had three exactly, and he was a little bit late to the party, <laughs> but it was still annoying, and I think it was like a turn four, you know, priest or something, and he was just like, again, he was so confident, because he was, he was so confident he had this card, and I think he was expecting me to be afraid and kind of fold, and I was like, Hmm, there's a dread return in my graveyard. And I was like, Judge, does this work? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, all right, so I'm going to dread return my Narc Amoeba. I'm going to lose the Narc Amoeba, but I'm going to make nine make, zombies. Yeah, right. And then I'm going to beat you to death with nine yeah. zombies. And so, you know, he was just so convinced that I was going to fold, you know, what was me, a containment priest? And I was like, oh, no, girl. Yeah. Uh, another thing I learned from Ben Perry was it doesn't matter how ugly it is, a win is a win. Like, if you got to cast your thugs, you better cast them thugs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of times you want the flashy win, but sometimes you got to get gritty with it and <laughs> get it however you can. There have just certainly been a bunch of games that I've lost because I wasn't taking those, you know, the gritty steps. Like, I, I played Merit Lodge combo for a long time, mm. and I I would have games that I definitely would have won if I were manually removing counters from dark Mm -hmm. depths when I could (laughs) even just like missing, like I would get to the point where I started and I realized like, Oh, I would have won this game if I had actually like, done what was necessary when it first became available. I beat someone to death the other day. I was on a flight home from Canada. I was playing a modern league and it was a burn (laughs) player and he had a turn one rest in peace and I just beat him to death in Amoebas. And it got to the point where he had an idol on the Great Revel. I drew a nature's claim and I was like, you know what? I don't even need that rest in peace because you're going to kill yourself just trying to burn me out. And sure enough, I took a (laughs) screenshot. I was at four and they were at one and then he cast a Boros Charm and I was like... (laughs) 
And so you got to get ugly. You know, sometimes you got to cast those prize amalgams. You got to cast that narc amoeba because they just might win you the game. Yeah, Yeah, I've I've definitely won more than one game with Belter using spirit guide beats. Yes. Wild Cantor has gotten multiple (laughs) damage in on various people. That's hilarious. And that's great. Have you ever killed anyone with Tinderwall? Can Tinderwall hit players? Uh, no, no, I can't. Oh. But I have blown up my opponent's creatures with it. And mm. sometimes they are very surprised that that's a thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, people definitely know you Tinderwall. Nice. A lot of my favorite card that I love to surprise people with is Vengeful Pharaoh. Um, so if you've never seen me play, I make a big point of fanning out my graveyard because it's really the only pertinent information that you need. And I know that I'm doing broken things. And so I try to be as above board as possible. Like I'm happy to show you my work and all of that. And even despite doing all of that, sometimes I play with Vengeful Pharaoh and you'd be surprised how many people just walk into it every <laughs> single time. And it just feels so good. And I just love that feeling of like Vengeful Pharaoh. And they're like, what? <laughs> And I'm like, this card right here, seventh from the right? Yeah, it's been looking at you this whole time. And then they're like, oh, man. And it just it feels amazing. <laughs> I have no idea what that card does. Yep, I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> you and like half the nation. Yeah, it would definitely get you then. <laughs> Yeah, it's so much fun to walk into it. Because especially with Bazaar, you know, if you're playing Bazaar or even Zombie Infestation, you can just discard it like as an instance. Oh, so somebody yeah. attacks you and you're like, okay. And then you activate Bazaar and put it in there. And then they're like, what? <laughs> oh, snap. That card is bonkers. <laughs> Jeff, did you just, yeah, it seems really did you just look it up? Yeah, obviously. I don't know what the card does. It's also funny how the rules work. I'll never forget. There was one game I was playing in Modern. This is when Death Shadow started becoming a thing. And I, I thought I was done. Like they had like the really quick Death Shadow. And then they did the Teamer Battle Rage. And I was on Magic Online. And I was at 18. And so they swing in. And I was like, <sighs> and then they hit me. And then it was like, to the damage, it's like the double strike damage happened first or whatever. That triggered the vengeful pharaoh, and then it died before the second swing got off. And I was like, oh! I was like, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still here. <laughs> and so it's neat sometimes how the rules work. We're like, yeah, if it's double strike, the first strike triggers yeah. pharaoh, and then it dies before it can do the other one. And I still, and I ended up winning that game. And so that was Man, a that's crazy. Yeah. Uh magic. <laughs> Are you still reading uh, vengeful pharaoh? <laughs> I just read There's it again. A lot of text. Because- it's not even a may. Like, you don't have to activate mm-hmm. that. It just mm-hmm. happens. You can also get clever with the blocking. It doesn't have to be the creature that actually hits you. So, for example, if there's a little creature and a big creature that are coming your way, you can let the little creature through, chump block the big creature, and then kill the big creature. Man, you can. Wow. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure that at the TSI that you had one of those, and I had played Empty the Warrens. It's yeah. possible. So long ago. I remember that you pretty much crushed me in that match. So <laughs> I ran out of zombie you tokens. You did run out of zombie tokens. I did, yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good we could play magic together. That was good. Yeah, I don't get to see you nearly enough. That's true. That's true. So what's next for you? I saw something that you were going to SCG Cincinnati. Is that right? Yeah. So somebody asked me to be on their team, which is mildly terrifying. (laughs) I even said to him, I was like, you know what decks I play, right? Like you're not getting a tier one experience here. And he's like, yes, of course, you're fabulous. Come play with us. And I was like, all right. So I am going to be going to SCG Cincinnati, I believe, in late March. Uh, It's a team event. So I will be in the legacy seat. God help us all. And then there is the Hunter Burton Open, which is happening in March, I believe, as well, which I'm going to try really, really hard to go to. Uh, I have a couple of friends down there who've been trying to convince me to go. And so I think I'm going to go do that. 
And then there's just some like little local events, like, you know, regionals is happening. I think there's like a little legacy 1K happening, but really I don't get out as much as I used to. Um, and that's largely by choice, but I always make time to go to the eternal weekends and then things like that. I'm going to hope to see you at uh, SCG Cincinnati. Nice. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been to Cincy before. I've been to Columbus, but not Cincy. Uh, you should definitely make time to go to Jungle Gyms. Jungle Gyms. What is that? Uh, it is a giant grocery store with uh, an expansive international section. You can find pretty much everything yeah. at Jungle Gyms. Do they have peach rings? Uh, yes. I'm almost certain they do. Okay. That's my favorite candy yeah. in the whole wide world. <laughs> so now that we're on Jungle Gyms, we should probably just go ahead and transition straight into the food section. Um, yeah. yeah, that was good. That was a good transition. Was it? We'll find out. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, the, the the food topic that, uh, I mean, we, we always have the food topic. And when I suggested this, Aaron was like, I have lots of foods that I feel very passionately about. For example, pineapple on pizza and crunchy <laughs> peanut butter. I'm a very picky eater and I, it's even been an issue in my relationships. I remember my last boyfriend, we were driving back to his place. It was the first time we were going to have a sleepover and we were just chatting about nonsense in the car. And I remember just laughing at something and I was like, what kind of peanut butter do you like? And he's like, I'm into crunchy. And I was like, <gasps> And I was like, get out, I'm getting out of the car. I'm getting out of the car. What, he's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm getting out. And I'm like, you, you didn't tell me. I didn't, you didn't tell me. I was like, I, th I thought I asked all the important questions. I was like, are you single? Do you have kids? How did you vote? Do you smoke? Oh no, it didn't even occur to me. And I was like, God, they should make you people wear signs. Like what? Crunchy peanut butter? Like what a monster. Just why are you so passionate about crunchy peanut butter? <laughs> It's an aberration. Like it smears the bread and it's just, I'm a texture it's, person. Yeah. So like when you put it it's in your- It's difficult to use. Thank you. And so like when you put it in your mouth, it's like you go from having this smooth, like, mm, and then crunch. And it's like, it just takes you out of the fantasy. It's it's terrible. How do you feel about Snickers bars? Um, I'm not a fan. Like I'll eat them, but I'm not happy about yeah, is it. it. Is it really just peanuts in okay. general? Or? No, I love, like if you give me a jar of cashews, I'm pretty That's happy. Different. Like I like That's cashews. Different. I think it's when it, when, I don't like- I think it's just it's just when it's it's when it's crunch, it's crunch texture in the peanut yeah butter. same thing with brownies like I think brownies and nuts are offensive mm. like nuts and brownies like okay. I don't like that either. What about chocolate chips and brownies? I mean, it's better, but no, I'd rather just have like a nice soft chewy brownie. Um, yeah, so that was definitely an issue because we had just started dating, and I remember going back to my girlfriends afterwards, and they were like, "So how did it go?" And I was like, "Oh, you know, was like we went back and watched a movie, and we made out a little bit." And they were like, "Yeah," and I was like, and then I found that it likes crunchy peanut butter, and they were like, "Ew," and I'm like, "I know," and like we just started talking about it, and it became a that's what girls talk about. Yeah, that's what we talk about, guys. If you're listening, um, we talk about what decks we you play, and we talk about what kind of food you eat. That's what we talk about. And so yeah, it was definitely something we we laughed about or i was like what a monster like should i call him again <laughs> and uh so my one related story about peanut butter is actually from my dad who when he was a kid his mom switched well his mom uh, jeff and my grandma um switched brands of peanut butter and my dad was incensed by this and and he's, he's like six or whatever and like he he's like I can tell this this peanut butter is not as good. What are you doing? Please go back to Jif, like a normal person. So I mean, choosy moms choose Jif. Choosy moms choose Jif, of course. And Grandma was like, "I'll make a deal. If you can, in a blind taste test, tell the difference between this peanut butter and Jif, we will go back to Jif, and we will get Jif forever." And he did, and that was like, I, like that is my dad's favorite memory. <laughs> it's just like. 
and I picked it out. I knew exactly what GIF. I feel like it's probably a pretty easy yeah. taste test, honestly. Mm. I mean, GIF is GIF is unique. It is obviously that's what I grew up with because what else were we going to get? <laughs> I mean, it certainly seems smoother than other peanut butters. So, what about powdered peanut butter? Do we feel strongly about powdered? No, is that is no. that a camping thing? <sighs> Unfortunately, it's not because like it has no calories, which is like a problem when you're trying to like backpack. And oh, sure, fuel, sure. I remember the first time I discovered natural peanut butter. I didn't know that you have to refrigerate mm. it. So like, I remember going to like Whole Foods and I was so proud of myself. I was like, I got natural peanut butter, you guys. Like, I am so healthy. And I remember putting it in my cupboard and like days later, days later, so I went healthy. to open it and it was just this layer of mold. And oh, I was like, what no. happened? And people were like, and then someone asked me, they were like, how long did you have it in the fridge for? And I was like, I'm supposed to put it in the fridge. They were like, yes. And I had no idea. And it probably had like two inches of water on top. Yes, I didn't know that it was. It was a lot of work. Ugh, man, I also don't like pineapple on pizza. I think that's. Yeah, fair. I certainly don't blame you. I mean, I like pineapple on pizza, but I'm not gonna. No, it's not, I mean, I'm not gonna. I mean, I'm surprised you'd copy that. I'm not gonna copy like. <laughs> He's like, she will chew well, my no, just, I mean, like. <laughs> Like if Aaron and I were to get a pizza together, it's not like I would demand pineapple on it. But you know, I'm not gonna. Okay. I'm I not might gonna, at this point. <laughs> not gonna. I respect the petty. It's fine. <laughs> Next TSI. Yeah. So, so one of the one of the things about pineapple on pizza is Donato's in Columbus, which is like a Ohio chain now. I don't know if they're beyond Ohio at this point or not. But anyway, Donato's has pineapple pizza with almond slivers and cinnamon on it. Nope. Nope. Which at, at that point, like that's cool. too far. That's too much for me. But are you deep dish or thin crust? Uh, I can go either way. Okay. Yeah, that's that's not a concern to me. Yeah, I'm a little picky when it comes to my food. Like if I get burgers, I usually get them cut in half because if you if they're cut in half, the guts don't come out of the bottom. Like they tend to stay together the a lot guts more. Don't come out of um, the bottom. Why are you having burgers with guts in them? <laughs> that's just wait. I, I need to understand the mechanics great. of this. What what are we preventing by cutting it in half? So when you get like a big burger, yeah. like when you get like a, like a, a double whopper, like a big restaurant sure. burger, if you, if you get the burger whole and you squeeze it too hard, all the toppings come out of the, up the bottom, like your lettuce, your tomato, your sauces. It just You're talking the about bottom. the side of the burger that is facing down as you try and eat it. Not the, not the bottom, yeah, like the middle of the bottom. Yeah, but if you cut it in half. Okay, okay. Right, yeah, but if you cut it in half, everything tends to stay in its nice little okay, half. Sure. You can have a nicer... Man, I feel like when I cut a burger in half, that just adds complication <laughs> to the everything going everywhere. Like, you have these just tiny little pieces, then, that you're trying to maintain, like... <laughs> The center cannot hold. That's Those fair. Things fall apart. That's, That's really literary. Um, but this, yeah, it's, this is highbrow. You know. <laughs> this is a highbrow podcast. Yeah. I pictured a, a burger made of awful meats, like uh, goose liver. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I have pretty, pretty firm food opinions. Um, I'm trying to think what else I, I feel pretty strongly about. Um, I don't like warm drinks. I'm, I'm like the little girl from Signs. So like, if you ever look at my apartment, you'll see like three half full cans of Diet Coke in the fridge and people are like, what's wrong with them? It's like, that one got warm. <laughs> that one looks funny. That one smells funny. Like, just trust me on this. Like, you remember that little girl? You can just throw them yeah. out. <laughs> Eventually, I'll pick them up again, but if they get too warm, I can't. Yeah, if they get too warm, I can't. What about hot drinks like coffee and tea? I don't like hot drinks. Okay, fair. No, I mean, that's, that makes sense. But I love cold condiments. Like if you put hot fries on cold ketchup, it's like, like on the, on the sandwich too? Like you, well, I'm asking because like I enjoy cold ketchup on a sandwich, like, like on a cheeseburger, like cold ketchup is better. That's just how it is. I'm sorry. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, I prefer crinkle cut fries if I have an option. So what's your fry hierarchy? Like if you, if you're preferring Ooh. crinkle cut fries, like where do waffle fries fit? Like tater tots? Oh God, waffle fries. I've done terrible things for waffle fries. Um, so I would probably do waffle as being like the best oh, and then crinkle and then steak. Uh. I hate curly fries. So yeah, I'm pretty. Mm, Where do tater tots rank on this? I, if they're crispy, I like them. But tater tots tend to end up being soggy a lot of the time, and that makes. Where me do sad. sweet potato fries fit on this? Because yeah. I think they're a trap. I don't like sweet potato. I don't like sweet potato anything. All right, we are on the same page. Like, like I could be yeah. dying, and you could have a sweet potato <laughs> oxygen mask, and I would still refuse it. I would just be like, no, just, I'd rather just just die. Thanks. <laughs> I want to know what. What's killing you <laughs> that a sweet potato oxygen mask is going to help? I'm just saying. I'm just trying to stress I don't like sweet potatoes in any, wow. any capacity. I heard you guys also talked for 30 minutes about cottage cheese. I don't like cottage cheese either. I was, I was actually going to ask you about cottage cheese when you're going through your little peanut butter rant. Because that was the next thing that jumped yeah, in my if mind. If you're a texture person, uh, cottage cheese seems out. Yeah, no. Cottage cheese is disturbing. I mean, I think that cottage cheese is disturbing, but I still eat it. <laughs> it just doesn't appear to like, it just, it, there's just nothing to it. It's just, it's just a blank slate. Like, What about uh, bubble tea? Does that, does that fly in the texture world? I've never had bubble tea. Then check back on one of our episodes where <laughs> I described it as tasteless pearl jelly. <laughs> you cannot talk about tasteless pearl jelly on the podcast. Nice. <laughs> Man, that was that was an early episode too. Yeah, yeah that was like episode three with Tuan. It was like like you said, he said you cannot say tasteless pearl jelly on this podcast. <laughs> what a great drag name, like tasteless pearl jelly. Just... But yeah, food's great. Yeah, I love food. <laughs> it keeps me going. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I don't think that I'm as passionate about food as you are because I don't think I care about any of these things. Like I have personal preferences, but. Man, like, if, if you want to – Nat asked me before the show. He was like, well, you don't, like, really like eggs. And it's true. I don't really like the texture really? of just, like, eggs. Basic eggs, like scrambled eggs Fried or eggs. Um, whatever, quiche. It's not my thing. I, I just can't get over that eggy texture. But if you want to eat them, you know, knock yourself out. I really don't Do you don't put anything care. on your eggs? I don't eat eggs. Oh, okay. So, okay, period. Okay. See, I'm a monster. I put ketchup on my eggs. Oh, no. That's, my wife does that, too. <laughs> It's funny. So the my wife. Does it's funny. So the same ex boyfriend I had the issue with with the peanut butter. He turned it around on me because he was from Chicago, and there was a sausage place that opened here in Milwaukee called Vanguard. And we went out for sausages one day, and I got a hot dog. <laughs> and so I remember we sat down, and I went to flip open the ketchup bottle, and he was like, <gasps> and I'm like, what? Just put some ketchup on my hot dog. Uh-huh. And he's like, I'm from Chicago, and we don't do that. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I guess in Chicago, they have their own way of eating hot dogs. And so that as was- As far as I'm concerned, man, it sounds like you two deserve each other. <laughs> well, we broke up a year later. So, um, but yeah, so it was it was funny that he kind of had his moment of like, that was when I had to rethink- Hot dogs are kind of a delivery vehicle for like condiments and other toppings anyway, right? Like That's yeah. very true. Yeah. But I, I, I have to have- um, <laughs> I don't like little hot dogs. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, who really does? Exactly, exactly. So we have a we have a hot dog place in Milwaukee called the Dog House, um, H A U S, and they're famous for their dog fathers, which are like the quarter. They're like the biggest hot dog, and those are those are great. But yeah, I can't do the little. <laughs> 
It's like at Thurman's where they have the, uh, what is, is it a pound hot dog? It's a huge hot dog that we nicknamed the home wrecker Whoa. for obvious reasons. But... Yeah. <laughs> if you ever go to Pride, um, we, we at Milwaukee has a Pride celebration on the lake here. And one of the perks of Pride is at the concession stands, they have the, uh, I believe it's called Dogzilla. Um, it's like an eight inch corn dog. It is obscene. Oh and of course, <laughs> everyone loves it. And so it's a good time. Corn dog is pretty much my wife's favorite food. Really? Like, a really good deep fried fair corn dog. Like she pretty much goes to Cedar Point every year. And I think it's really just for the corn dogs. Do you have frozen hot dogs in your freezer? Me? No. Okay. Just wondering. I mean, I, I didn't know if, you know, maybe the ones you get in the freezer case just aren't good enough. I mean, I don't think they are. We, we have made homemade oh, corn dogs for, I mean, it's a lot of work, Really? Wow. They're good. Yeah. It's just work. Yeah, sure. Fascinating. Will you fry them and everything? Oh yeah. Deep fry them. My, my, my brother-in-law and, Thank God he's never going to listen to this. He gave us, knowing that my wife has this, you know, corn dog <laughs> frenzy. Um, I was thinking a different <laughs> F word as well. Yeah. <laughs> gave us an item. I think it's called the corn dogger. Oh, God. No, like, she's saying it wasn't called the corn dogger, but that's basically what it was. It was some sort of device that was supposed to. I'm probably thinking of that because I'm thinking of the ham dogger which is an entirely different conversation. That's the thing but... that shapes hamburgers into hot dogs, right? Yes. Google the ham dogger <laughs> and think about the possibilities. But yeah, it was just like this thing that was supposed to make making corn dogs easy, but it was terrible. Huh. It just made the worst thing. What, what, what did it do to the poor thing? It was sort of like a George Foreman for corn dogs where you like, you like made you said dogs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway it just didn't work and it was the worst thing ever basically what i'm trying to say here is if you want to make a good corn dog at home you need to go through the work and you need to you need to to deep fry them and shove those corn dogs on a stick and i think that we use just like a glass full of cornmeal stuff and they're great huh. but you need to put in the effort <laughs> don't, don't skimp on corn dogs. Check. I don't necessarily feel that passionately about corn dogs, but I love corn. Like corn itself, I freaking love corn. Like really? like on the cob, yeah. off the cob, doesn't matter. On the cob, cream corn, any corn. I love corn bread. How do you feel about cutting the corn off the cob? That's weird. <laughs> I like to work for it, you know. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, like I love, I love popcorn. I love corn on the cob. I love corn bread. I love, yeah, just anything corn. Uh, I'm also particular about Oreos. Um, I only eat double stuffs, and I eat them in a very certain way, like very ritualistic kind of way. Is it the quadruple stuff or no? That's oh, too okay. much. Okay. That's too much. Do you, do you eat out the cream and then put the two halves together and then eat the two cookie halves? No. Oh. So what I will do is I will pry off the half with no cream with my teeth. So I just do a little okay. flip and then I will eat that part. I will just, just eat the plan part. And then I eat the part with the cream on it and it's great. Oh. <laughs> I also hate rye chips. So if we ever get Gardettos, I will pour out the whole bag, get rid of all the rye chips, put the best back in the bag and give some poor soul the, the rye chips. Wow. Yeah. I don't like rye chips. That's that's a lot of dedication for one part of a snack mix. <laughs> yeah. I feel that strongly about it. Yeah, I don't want it ruining yeah, my sure. experience. Even just seeing them and having to pick around them is ruining the experience. 
It really is. It's just like, can you just make them without for me? Like, that would be great. There's got to be a snack mix that's already that, right? Like, Well, the opposite is true. You can get a bag of just rye chips, but you can't get Gardettos without rye chips. I assume that you get them by coming to your house after you get a snack mix bag. <laughs> I wish. That would be like a great little, like, you know, do-it-yourself empire. You know, I'd be like the Martha Stewart of rye chips. Just... You found your calling. Right, exactly. You know, if this whole podcasting thing doesn't work out, I'll just make rye chips from my home. It's great. And so I was just thinking about it. And are there three people on this podcast right now who don't drink coffee? Oh, wow. I think so. Wow. That's got to be pretty. Yeah, I don't, I, don't I, mean, I assume that JC drinks coffee. He is coffee cup. That's fine. I probably drink enough coffee for all of you. So it's, it's all <laughs> That's right. fair. Wow. Yeah, I've never gotten into coffee. So bitter. I know it's a good question to ask you guys because my Facebook page is full of this. What are your Girl Scout cookie preferences? Thin mints. Yeah, thin mints, which is, you know, real cliche, but yeah. they're still the best. It's a cop out for sure, but they're real good. I also like uh, shortbreads. Are those, are those the, uh, the little, yeah. the little uh, what do they call them? I like the little coconutty chocolate ones. Samoas. Samoas yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, so I'm a peanut butter patty girl. I like peanut butter patties. And I also like the, I think they're called thank yous, where it's like, it's thank the shortbread. Yous. Thanks a lot. There you go. So it's the shortbread and on the back it has like a chocolate butt. Oh, so okay. It's like a sure, 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 coin, sure. But it's one size coin. Yeah, so I like that. Yeah. I, um, we don't really buy Girl Scout cookies all that often, I guess, because I usually just make cookies myself, so... I'm, I am just not a supporter of children's. Are you like cookies. Amish? Like you make corn dogs? You make girl No, no, cookies? that's Jeff. Jeff makes corn dogs. I just oh, make cookies. Oh, okay. Sorry. We also make cookies a lot yeah. too, and we don't <laughs> get a lot of wow. Are we Amish? <laughs> <laughs> Never really thought to ask myself. Nice. I mean, I, I guess. I guess I'm picky about a lot of things, but I, I never want to prevent anyone else from enjoying what they enjoy. Well, I mean, that's the whole point of playing dredge. Am I right? It kind <laughs> of is. Look, we've come full circle. This is great. We really have. Before we end, I just want to say raw onions. They're terrible. <gasps> oh, yeah. What? Yeah, I totally agree with oh, that. Oh, you really going to argue with him about that? Now, define raw. Uncooked. <laughs> Not cooked at all. <laughs> at all. So... But here's the thing. So when you put a raw onion onto something that's cooked, it becomes cooked by proxy. Mm. 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 Oh, you, so no way, no how. No, it's still so disruptive to like the flavor. It's so overpowering. So like when you yeah, get a sub, not- when you get a sub sandwich, you don't get onions on it. No, I will throw them away. Really? Wow. Yep. I mean, I love cooked onions. I think they're great. Like caramelized onions, like they're delicious, but just the raw onions are so offensive to me. Yeah, I can ignore a lot of toppings on burgers. Like I'm fine with them. This is coming from me and my enjoyment of plain hamburgers is the stuff of legend. It it Um, really is though. Onions are one of those things where I really don't like how much it dominates the flavor of a burger. Mm. Sometimes sometimes I will get a burger with raw onions just to take them off because the <laughs> essence of the onion that has just barely touched the food is okay. Mm, that seems fair. But, Interesting. But most time I'll just order without. There's a huge difference between like a couple of rings, like maybe one or two, and like, I just took a slice out of this onion and put it on your burger. Yeah, right. That's a lot of onion. Nat, I was hoping that you were saying that like you disliked raw onions so much that you're essentially just 
hate drafting them on your burger. <laughs> I just don't want other people to have them. I just try <laughs> and deny them from other people. At least you're not one of those monsters who eats a burger with a knife and a fork. I have a friend who does that, and I'm like, why are you like this? <laughs> wow. I'll eat a lot of things with a knife and a fork, but not burgers. Yeah, it's so goofy. It's like, how? I think I prefer food that I eat with my hands. Really? Probably. Oh, man. I'm really freaky about clean hands. Oh, yeah. oh really? Yeah, I, I, if I have the option to fork and a knife things, I will fork and a knife them. But I don't even think it's feasible to eat a burger with a fork and a knife. Like, you can't get the same experience out of it. See, I'm very anal about my fingernails. Like, I, I need them to be, like, really clean. Like, I, I've never confessed this on a podcast before, but here we go. In my clutch, I keep... <laughs> I'm gonna have to really explain this one. Um, so in my clutch, I keep a thumbtack, <laughs> like one of those clear ones that you like pin stuff to your wall. Not because I'm like gonna get in a cage fight or anything, but because I'm so obsessed with cleaning my nails that I will just get every single. I can't. I can't. There can't be any dust, any dirt, any anything. My nails are super important to me. So I'm but also, you for yeah, if you get into a cage fight, you're fine. <laughs> I will poke you if I have to. Just like wow, like just pop. That seems fair. I'm fine with this. It's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. I'm Aaron Campbell. And I'm Josh Chappell. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Take a little trip. Take a little trip. Take a little trip and see. I mean, did you want me to turn myself up or I don't know. Can you get yourself up? I'll, <laughs> I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I still think you sound fine, Ned. Did you do something? I did, but I don't know that it made that much of a difference. Uh, your bars look a little bit bigger, so thank you. If your all natural male enhancement must have been a <laughs> I've, I've actually just trimmed around, so it's it's all illusion. Oh, okay. So, yes, yeah, right. Cool. I'm glad we're recording this, by the way. Is this all getting recorded? <laughs> I agree. Fantastic.